You are listening to the Plano Pulse, a Plano Chamber podcast keeping you in tune with the heartbeat of the local business community. It's time for Plano Pulse with your hosts, Jamie Jolly and Jeff Beckley. Welcome. Thank you for tuning to Plano Pulse, recorded at the Plano Chamber office located in the Legacy Texas Business Center. I'm Jamie Jolly, President and CEO of the Plano Chamber of Commerce. And I'm Jeff Beckley, 2018 Board Chair of the Chamber, the Plano Chamber, that is, the number one chamber in all the world. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. We're so glad that you've joined us today. For this episode, we're going to be diving into the topic of midterm elections. Before we get started and introduce you to our guest, we'd like to take a moment to share a message from our sponsor of today's episode, CoServe. Plano relies on CoServe to power many of its homes and businesses. But did you know CoServe also empowers the Plano community through schools and nonprofit organizations? The CoServe Charitable Foundation funds grants organizations like City House, Children's Advocacy Center of Collin County, and the Plano ISD Education Foundation to help ensure Plano's bright future. Learn more at coserve.com community. Thank you again to our friends at CoServe for sponsoring today's episode. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be discussing the upcoming midterm elections and a few other topics in that, in that area. Uh, joining us for this conversation is Trisha Wyndham with the Davis Advocates. We're very happy to have Trisha with us today. Trisha joined the Davis Advocates in 2014 as Executive Vice President of Public Affairs. She specializes in political action committee management and government relations consulting. Previously, Trisha served as the Managing Director of Public Policy for the Dallas Regional Chamber. Trisha, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So, Tricia, we'd love to start by um, just having you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, your expertise. Um, I've personally known you for a while and, um, and, and had the pleasure of working with you. But help our listeners understand kind of your relationship with um, the Plano Chamber of Commerce. Sure. So, um, as you guys mentioned, I am a public policy consultant. I get a lot of questions about how I ended up in this field. And my response to people is always that I actually did this to myself intentionally. <laughs> my undergrad and graduate degrees are both in political science. Um, my master's is in the Texas Legislative Studies. Um, so I very intentionally uh, got involved in politics looking to be uh, an advocate. Um, working, I, kind of, I cut my teeth at the Dallas Regional Chamber. And so um, I view a lot of this through the business perspective. Um, and so it's naturally just sort of evolved to um, when I joined the Davis Advocates, most of our clients are business focused. Um, and that includes the Plano Chamber, who we've worked together for about three years yeah. now. Mm -hmm. And so seems like only yesterday. Yeah, right? <laughs> In ways, it's, it's like it's always been. Um, so what we do, um, Jamie and I and uh, the board leadership, work on making sure that we first understand what the business community in Plano needs in terms of high-level advocacy. What are their issues? What are their things they're concerned about? What are the things they really like that they want to make sure um, continue? And then we, we look at that from a state and a local perspective, put together a legislative agenda or sort of public policy priorities for the local level, um, and then work to make sure that our elected officials understand 
what those priorities are, uh, why those are priorities for us and our members, and work with them to, to try to have the best outcomes from, um, for policy for our members. Yeah, we've been excited to have this partnership. And like you said, it's been a couple of years and it's it's really made a difference in how we've been able to advocate for our members and the issues that are, their businesses are facing. So yeah, it's been you. fun. I, there's there's uh, not a lot of better places to come to work every day than Plano. Yeah. So. It's nice. It's nice. <laughs> well, so kind of turning our attention into the midterm elections, it seems like we have pretty good momentum. I don't think that's just my own perception. It feels like there's more participation there's more conversation, there's a higher voter turnout. What do you think is causing this? And do you think it'll have an impact on the outcomes for the upcoming state and local elections? So midterm elections um, coming after a presidential election are always a hot topic. Um, and so a lot of our national stuff is stirring up interest as people get ready to go to the ballot, um, to the uh, polling locations in November. They're thinking about what's going on at a national level. That's not necessarily where um, we focus as a Plano chamber, but when we talk about who's going to show up at our elections, we're also thinking about the fact that Texas has a big Senate race. It's one of the most hotly contested uh, watched races in the country right now with Beto O'Rourke and uh, Senator Ted Cruz. So that big ticket item is helping drive people to the polls. Um, you know, here in Plano, we have a rapidly changing uh, population, Collin County, sure. um, changing demographics, the growing population. Add that into um, all of the partisan politics that we're seeing on a national level. And people do seem pretty excited about the midterm elections. Um, I was listening to a report this morning that there's seems to be particular enthusiasm with the Democrats. The big question is whether it's actually going to be a blue wave like people referenced. Um, we saw a special election recently in Texas, um, a long-held Democrat senator, um, a Senate seat actually turn over and go Republican. So it's made some people wonder if there really is going to be a blue wave. And mm -hmm. I think what's hard is you just don't really know who's going to come in November because the way that our polling works and the way that we try to di uh, identify who the universe is of likely voters is that is a hard thing to predict when when we don't really understand all the different reasons people are are getting excited about this election so i'm looking forward to november 6th because it's it's we're finally going to know who's coming and if there is going to be a blue wave or um a red wave or if it's just going to be business as usual so we'll see and i would say um both o'rourke and cruz have made appearances here in plano and have tried to connect with our local mm -hmm. voters and um and I do think there's a lot of emphasis in Collin County, and yeah. because of the the changing demographics, mm -hmm. um, I'm seeing a lot of mailers and commercials, and sure. so yeah, uh, it's been interesting just seeing kind of the the. I feel like it's different this time around. Yeah, um, with the growth that we've seen in North Texas, many of our residents are new to North Texas. Um, they've moved here from either outside of the area or outside of the state. And um, it was interesting in talking with some of our new residents when we were leading up to the primaries and how Texas manages our voting process can be different than other states. Um, so what would you say, you know, what would you help provide information to those new voters about elections in Texas and what to expect as we go into this general? So um, first, just a general information for elections in Texas. We have one of the earliest primaries in the country, so our primaries are in March. Um, some other states are, are just having primaries or finishing their primaries pretty recently in the yeah, last one yeah, thing, that's shocking. Yeah, and one thing some out-of-staters might not realize is that Texas actually has its 
presidential and its local primaries together, and that's yep. why it's so early. A lot of some other states actually have their presidential election or primary rather disconnected from their state or local primaries. So yeah. that might be uh, yeah. an eye opener for some. Well, it's residents. hard because uh, just switching just a little bit, but it's it's really hard for candidates in Texas because you got to get everybody excited and go out to the polls in March, and then you have yeah, this long period summer, of time yeah. um, before they have to come back and do it again. So it's it's a big disconnect there. Um, but so when you go vote in your primaries in March, you have to pick whether Democrat or Republican. You don't have to register for either of those parties, but you do have to pick which ballot you're going to you're going to um, vote in. And then you have to stay with that ballot. So if there's a runoff race, if you voted Republican and there's a runoff um, Democrat race, you can't switch over and vote in that runoff Democrat race. You have to stay Republican just for those primaries. But if you didn't vote in the primary, you can vote in either runoff in, right. a, in a runoff right. uh, primary runoff. So and then. Um, you are when we the ballots will combine for this November um, election and you then can switch back and forth on your ballot uh, Texas is unique I remember the first time I voted in Texas it really took me back that you can vote straight ticket um, at this point at least uh, so that is an option um, but then you can also go back and forth and you can switch between Democrat and Republican candidates as you work your way through the November ballot so um, I would just tell people if you're into politics at all um, you remember that those primaries are early and that a lot of the Texas districts I think it's something like 80% are considered safe so really the race for a lot of them is in pri in the primaries. If, if you want to sure. have a say in who is going to be the next senator, if you want to see a change or you want to support who's there right now, it's really important um, to know that you need to go vote in those primaries. And it's important to vote in November, too. But those primaries are a lot of times who comes out of that uh, victorious is, is who's going to be your next senator or legislator. And then also, just to kind of add to that, I think um, some of the confusion in Texas, we actually, when it comes to Election Day, we do have early voting. And you can actually vote anywhere in the mm -hmm. county, and they make it as simple as possible. Right. You do have to physically go to a polling location, but... But it doesn't have to be your precinct. Correct. Right. Just somewhere in the yep. county. So if you're yep. close to... There's a voting location close to your office, you can stop in there within the county. Um, but for all that information, if you visit CollinCountyTX.gov yep. and uh, go to the elections section within that website, it will give you all the information that you need as far as voting dates and times and where to go. Yeah. So, so we saw this in the primaries um, to a certain degree here locally. We had a lot of um, campaign ads, some of them not so flattering campaign mm -hmm. ads, a lot of mailers that went out, a lot of bad information, and we see a lot of that on social media. How do voters kind of sift through the disinformation or the fake news, if you will, and properly research their candidates? I mean, what, where can they go to get real information about what's going on here locally? Sure. I mean, I think people, it's, it's somewhat of a personal responsibility in this day and age to make sure that the information that you're reading is accurate and understand the source from where it's coming from. So um, I also just personally think that we all need to be um, willing to be exposed to some ideas and um, information that's not necessarily just from our own silo. So looking for nonpartisan sources, looking for sources like um, your chamber, somebody that doesn't take, doesn't pick a side, doesn't pick a candidate, but really just wants to benefit from seeing their voters come out and be informed. Um, so I think that's a good resource. Your Chamber of Commerce is always a good resource. We do a questionnaire here. We're going to have sort of a um, 
opportunity for our members to come, a meet and greet, if you will, uh, cocktail hour for our members to come and meet the candidates that are going to be on the ballot. Uh, the other thing that we partner with the Collin County Business Alliance, and um, we have a get out the vote initiative called Collin County Votes that has uh, done sort of an innovative new way, way of trying to give snapshots of information to people largely on social media about these candidates. They do quick little videos, and it just is meant to not necessarily teach you everything you need to know about a candidate, but get you a, give you a feel for who they are and what they're interested in, what they want to do when they're elected. Um, and help spur your interest to go find out more information from them from there. The other good resource is the Dallas Morning News. They do a really extensive questionnaire. Um, it's very in-depth, and then they ultimately will sit down as an editorial board and make recommendations if you're interested in their opinion from there, too. So, um, again, it's just looking for those sources that don't necessarily have something to gain if one or the other wins that are really just looking to, to educate voters. So you mentioned Collin County Votes. Uh, they actually have hashtag Collin County Votes, and they've got a a pretty website. good Facebook mm -hmm. page yep. and a website yep. uh, where it's got a lot of good information. Yep, it's CollinCountyVotes.com, and then we do have a, a Facebook page. If you follow it, you'll see our candidate videos. There's a lot of information that goes out that's just kind of issues-oriented and, and gives you an idea of um, the business-related issues facing Collin County. Great. So before we go to a break, I just want to plug uh, uh, what we've got coming up here. We're actually going to talk a little bit about uh, legislative priorities and, and what's going to happen after the election, depending on who gets elected. So stay tuned. And uh, we have some more topics to discuss. But first, we'd like to take a quick break for a message from our presenting sponsor of Plano Pulse Legacy Texas. I want a bank focused on customer service. Scratch that. I want a bank focused on customer action. At Legacy Texas, we couldn't agree more. What bank doesn't focus on its customers? That's cost of entry. We make it our job to help your money work efficiently and productively. So whether you're juggling a family, running a business, or both, you can count on Legacy Texas to be proactive, take action, and help you achieve your goals. Legacy Texas. Change your mind about banks. Member FDIC. Welcome back to Plano Pulse. We're here with Tricia Windham, Executive Vice President of Public Affairs with Davis Advocates. So um, real quick, we talked before the break about uh, the November elections and some voters, when they go to the polls in November, there will be other measures that are on the ballot that they will need to be educated about and be informed so that they can um, take a position on those issues. So talk a little bit about what they might see if they're voting in mm -hmm. um, this region. Sure. So um, Collin County residents, that which obviously includes Plano, are going to have a transportation bond um, at the bottom of your ballot. And that's Something I, I want to stress is that these propositions, if you vote straight ticket, particularly if you vote straight ticket on election day with a paper ballot, remember to go to the bottom of your ballot and look for what propositions are there. Um, so for Collin County residents, there's going to be a $750 million transportation bond. Um, the chamber is supporting that along with um, several of our partners. $750 million, I think, is, is incredibly for important, and it's kind of a small chunk of change for the amount it of is. transportation infrastructure that we need. but what the best way to explain it is it's not going to necessarily fund these projects these are enormous projects but it lets us get our place in line because we're coming with a little bit of money in hand and we're willing to invest our local dollars to help incentivize the state to come back and prioritize our projects so 
from a business community perspective, that, that transportation bond is really important. And we continue to hear from our members that that is a number mm-hmm. one concern. It's not just about commuting across town to get to work, but it's moving product and right. services across the region. And yep. like you said, we've got to have some skin in the game. And um, we feel like this plan was very thoughtful. This bond election will help get us in the right position yes. to hopefully move the needle on some of those right. important projects. And, so. and do it without a tax increase. Yes. So um, important to know. So make sure that you, you get to the bottom of your belt to check that out. There are some other communities. I know Richardson and Dallas um, and Frisco are a couple that have uh, TREs on the ballot. Um, and a TRE, this is, it's a tax ratification election, and it is a unique funding source for schools that a school board has to approve just to put on the ballot for voters to consider. But it is one of the only ways that our school districts, particularly those that struggle with recapture payments, can add additional funding um, to their operating budget. So um, most of us are familiar with bond elections. We see these from time to time in our communities. And the difference between a TRE and a bond is that bond elections go to pay for actual like infrastructure and buildings and stadiums in some cases, but they can't be used to pay for giving your teachers a raise or programs or things that you can't you know reach out and touch. So the TREs are, for a lot of school districts, sort of this lifeline right now as we struggle with recapture payments. Um, They are essential for us. For Dallas ISD, I know, has a ton of innovative programs that are going on that are really changing kids' lives. But with the way that our school finance system is set up, we can't continue these programs, at least at the very least, we can't expand them and scale them to the the size that they need to be to continue to um, have the impact that they are without passing a TRE, which is a, a small, it's voters essentially electing to have a slight increase in their own property taxes so that that, that money can specifically fund their schools. So uh, just uh, real quick on the TRE rates, um, the rate of increase that we're talking about on TREs is normally... It, de- it depends on the school district. You get to pick which rate you're you're asking voters to approve. I know Dallas ISD is a 13 cent um, tax increase. So 13 cents on what's their base right now? Is it a dollar? They're a dollar four. Dollar four. Mm-hmm. So that so that's like a uh, over a 12% tax increase for the school district portion of the property tax bill. That's not the whole tax right, bill. Right, right. And um, and like I said, that, that money is uniquely situated that the school district will be able to, I guess, kind of prepare themselves and, and insulate themselves from those recapture payments instead of um, struggling to or making cuts in some cases. And and we as a chamber did support a, a TRE that was passed in Plano yep. a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and felt like it was a necessary tool in the tool chest. Yep. And we all, you know, nobody likes paying more taxes, but at the same time, we want to make sure that our school district right. has the resources to maintain the level of excellence that we've come to expect. Right. And we know firsthand, I mean, more and more money is going to go back to the state this year. I think the total payment for recapture is $208 million is mm-hmm. what we wrote for from PISD this, mm-hmm. this uh, uh, fiscal year. Yep. Yeah, and that kind of leads into our next topic. Oh, sure. Yeah, and so um, once the elections are over, the 86th legislature will convene, and, um, you know, obviously the makeup could change. I don't, I'm not, we're not really interested in... I mean, I, as much as I would like to know how the outcome is going to be, <laughs> right. I'd really like to kind of get a better sense of what some of the top priorities are, regardless of 
who's in charge, yeah. you know, who our speaker sure. is, you know, but what so, are the issues? Yeah, so this this session's going to be difficult, and it's really hard to make some predictions because, as Jeff alluded to, we will have a new speaker, and that changes everything. I mean, it, it, it shakes up and resets um, all the, the pieces to the puzzle. Um, but I think this, this is going to be another budget session. It's a difficult budget session. We're going to have to deal with, um, continue to deal with the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey and the... I mean, the, the widespread aftermath of that with, like, the school finance piece for Houston ISD, for rehabilitation, whether we tap into the rainy day fund, there's a lot of questions and policy around that that need to be addressed. Um, from an overall perspective, I... I hope that school finance is the top of the list. I know that it's picking up traction and it's um, getting more attention than it probably ever has. We saw during this interim a uh, special select committee that studied school finance. They had three different uh, components to that committee, one that studied revenue, one that studied expenditures, which is traditionally whenever we studied this subject with interim committees, they've just looked at those two things, money in, money out. But we had a different one. We had a third subcommittee this year that that looked at outcomes. So what are our schools producing for outcomes? How does that match up with what our workforce needs are? What do we want them to be producing? What does success look like? And how much does it cost for us to get there? So um, our very own North Texas, uh, Todd Williams chaired that and, and issued a report that I think was pretty enlightening for a lot of people. Sure. Um, and I think it's speaks to a lot of business types that can look at that and say, yes, those are the outcomes that we want. And for the first time ever, there's some dollars that are attached mm -hmm. to it. Um, and you can really take a gut check and say, if we want this many kids graduating from high school and we want them having some sort of post-secondary readiness and then ultimately completing that, whether that's a certificate or a four-year, whatever it is, um, this is what it's going to cost. And are we willing to do that? So I'm hoping that that conversation ties into with the fact that you know everybody's frustrated with their property taxes. People constantly are talking about property taxes being too high. You really can't talk about true property tax reform without school finance reform. So I hope that our leadership, our delegation will um, take that and, and uh, make that sort of their mantra for this session that I want to give you ta property tax relief, and to do that, we have to tackle this really difficult thing of school finance. So, so then bringing that back to the recapture conversation we had briefly earlier, Plano sends off $208 million. I mean, when we look at property tax reform, as you mentioned, it really mm -hmm. starts with school finance reform. I saw a statistic and a fact floating around, and I can't remember exactly what the percentage was, but there's a percentage of uh, Plano residents, property taxes, that actually gets sent off in mm -hmm. recapture. I don't know if you have Yeah, that. it's something like 20% of your Plano, Total. I, Plano ISD portion. Oh, I got you. It yeah. goes back to the state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's close to, it's almost, I, th I thought it was closer, closer to 30%. 30, 30 now. And, and when you do the math on that, it actually kind of rivals what residents pay to the city. It's yeah, about 80% of what I, you I pay in city I think that was eye-opening. As right. we went through the budgeting process with the city of Plano, and I think that was very eye-opening to see that mm -hmm. you are correct. The portion that, in the average home in Plano, the portion you pay in property tax for city government matches the amount that you also send right. to PISD that gets sent back to the state. Right. And it's not that we don't want to educate every student in Texas, but a lot of people assume those funds are coming to fund local education and we're not real sure 
where the money goes once it goes to the state. It, sure. It, ultimately, we're seeing the state contribute less and property taxpayers contributing more. Right. And so there is a, yep. I, I would, I'm like you, I hope that that gets addressed. I hope that our delegation um, really focuses in because we are the second largest payer to the recapture program. Yep. So it is a priority for our Plano residents. After this next payment, Plano ISD will have paid 1.8 or 1.9 billion with a B dollars in recapture of our local property tax dollars have been sent back to the state. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what the perfect system is, but I am, I'm confident that uh, Plano ISD could find a way to spend 108 or 109 or 1.8 or 1.9 billion dollars here locally for our kids. Talk, so, to, talk to any trustee yeah. on our school board, and they will tell you this yeah. is not sustainable. No, it's not sustainable. And, and any of the Chapter 41 school districts that are paying recapture will tell you that that you look at projections over the next five years for these school districts for their recapture payments, and it's gonna it's going to break the bank for all of them. So something has to be done. And I, it, I would prefer that we don't wait until the very last minute. Sure. Well, um, so school finance has been an issue for our members and we've talked about it and we've um, polled our members and uh, continues to come to the top of the list, but we have a very formal process. It makes me very excited how we've um, become so sophisticated and how we learn about what's important to our members and how we establish our priorities going into the legislative session. Um, talk a little bit, Trisha, about what all goes into coming up with that list of priorities. We want to make sure that mm -hmm. we're keeping a pulse on our members, and I feel like we've done a good job yep. of kind of putting that in process. So I will, I'll give you a plug on this. Uh, we have um, once a month a public policy committee that meets the first Wednesday of every month at 730. And um, I would tell you, I, I work with a lot of chambers. This is probably the most plugged in group that you'll find anywhere. You can come spend an hour and a half at the Plano Chamber and know what's going on at your city level because we have high level city staff and sometimes city council members that come. We usually have our superintendent, a lot of times our um, uh, uh, president of the trustees. We have um, county commissioners that come. We have representatives um, from our state delegation and state senator's office and Congress. even our congressional member's yeah. office. So if you come spend 90 minutes with us, you're going to know what's happening um, at every level of the government that, that reaches like your life. As I like to say, the place to be in Plano, it the is, first Wednesday it is, of the month. I, I, come for coffee. It is worth it. So it's, in it's addition, a good group. we also have a guest speaker that comes and talks about, tries to educate us on some of our big topics that we're going to be facing in session, whether it's transportation, education, and all of that. So we spend the year taking deep dives into these big issues. And then we do, um, usually in like September, August, September, some, we do a uh, poll of our membership um, and ask our businesses, what's important to you? Tell us what's impacting your business. We take that information, we use it in conjunction with what we've learned from our speakers throughout the year, and we put together a draft legislative agenda. We make sure it's representative of the results that we got back from our poll. And then we work with that public policy committee to refine it and continue to adjust it based on our company's needs and make sure that we're, we're doing a good job representing each of our members down there. And I think, um, and that really drives kind of our conversations with the delegation as they're in Austin making decisions. Mm -hmm. um, the chamber really is a resource. We want right. to make sure that if you're in Austin making a decision that's going to impact um, a company that manages a fleet, mm -hmm. call the chamber. We have members that manage fleets, and yep. let's put them in conversation and have dialogue about the um, the outcomes from some of that legislation. So. Uh, we do see that as uh, us being a resource. And then also I would say we use that in establishing our scorecard. So talk right. a little bit. That was new last session. Yes. So what we do uh, is during the session, we 
work with our delegation and make sure that they understand first before they even go down what our policy priorities are. Once we're in session and we see some of our big bills moving, the bills that really impact our our main uh, policy priorities down there, we'll let our delegation know this is a this is a scored bill for us, which means that we're going to publish how they vote on an easily condensed what we call it a scorecard at the um, easy to read condensed scorecard at the end of session. And I think last session we probably had like eight. 13? Okay. 13 scored votes um, that we put out for our members. Um, it's not a gotcha moment. It's our members know what we're looking at. Our delegation knows what we're focused on. And so it's really just a transparency thing for our members to understand what we went down there and advocated for and for them to also see how their delegation voted on the issues that are important for them. So we push that out at the end of session um, and make sure that, that, just like I said, people have an idea of what, what happened in Austin. So and I, I, I would say real quick, that scorecard is on our website website mm -hmm. at planochamber.org. Oh, yes. So yep. as you are researching the candidates that are running, I do think it's important to see how those that are incumbents have yep. voted in the past on some of those key issues yep. in the last legislative session. Right. And we didn't mention that it is an award-winning scorecard. Yes, it is. is. We did a win. That's the, right. Uh, state chamber. What, so, what isn't award-winning around yes. here? That's true. <laughs> so just kind of bringing it back home, um, taking the survey results, um, taking some of the feedback from the public policy group, what are the what are the outcomes from that? What are the top two or three uh, priorities for the business community? Sure. So we're going to be focused on public education. Uh, we're going to be focused on the finance system um, and pre-K is a big one for the chamber. We're going to be focused on transportation. So we want to protect the dollars that have already been allocated to transportation um, in the event there's something like left over. I'm um, just going to be optimistic and, and hope that there yes. is. Uh, we're going to fight for some of those dollars to come um, into transportation, specifically to North Texas. And then we're, we're looking for tax transparency in our taxes. We're looking for fair and equitable systems for our businesses. Uh, we know that everybody's got to pay taxes. We want to just make sure that... Um, that the process there is is as equitable as it possibly can be, um, and then we're as always we're going to be looking at um, policies that support our higher ed, our healthcare, and just general economic development. Great, and I would say um, for more information on those topics, we're also hosting different um, informational sessions throughout uh, the next few uh, weeks. Please visit planochamber.org. And also, just want to remind everyone that's listening that early voting does start on October 22nd, and election day is November 6th. You mm -hmm. can go to CollinCountyTX.gov um, and actually print out a sample ballot. That will be very helpful as you go in and yep. make those decisions as you research the candidates and the issues. And um, Yeah, as much as I would love to talk about this, and I know we could talk about this all day long, I, I, would, uh, I would absolutely... Uh, Love that. Uh, we have to wrap up. So uh, I just want to remind our listeners, if you're listening to the conversations like we have like, like we've had today, you can certainly join us the first Wednesday of each month for our public policy committee meeting, 7:30 right here at the chamber. Um, and uh, more than anything, I want to thank you, Tricia, yeah. for your time and your expertise and your wisdom. And Happy thank you to. for your support of the chamber. Of course. We'd also like to thank Legacy Texas, presenting sponsor of Plano Pulse. The support of our sponsors is critical to Plano Pulse. If you'd like to join Legacy Texas as a sponsor, please get in touch with our chamber team for additional details and availability. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Plano Pulse. 
Please let us know what you think, share with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to join us for our next episode.